We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm here, as always, with Jason Pat. Jason, what's going on? Uh, not a whole lot. Just uh, watching some more Zach Levine workout videos and also watching Larry Markkinen getting all jacked. Getting me j- jacked and juiced for this Bulls season. There's nothing like the off-season picture of a guy in the best shape of his life. That's how we truly know the season is almost here. And what better way... Uh, to start bringing in that, then to welcome in our guest tonight, Matt Moore from the Action Network. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are y'all? We are We're doing good. great. So, all right. So, Matt, you a couple weeks ago you wrote a, bull, a column about the Bulls and the Suns, uh, two uh, two teams that were absolutely atrocious last season. We obviously lived through the miserable Bulls season of 22 wins. Uh, and obviously, the Action Network does stuff with betting over unders that we've been, I've been following that as well over at Bet Chicago. Uh, and you wrote a column about the Bulls and Suns, thinking that a little more optimistic than uh, last season. I know that the the Bulls' odds have been have been kind of trending upwards. You were also tweeting some stuff today, uh, and I've noticed that the Bulls have kind of been going up from around 29-30. Now they're at around 32-33. But in this column, you kind of talked about how the Bulls just they have more more good players now, and you think that you, you think they're going to or go over at least it was the 29 and a half number. I know it's gone up since then. I don't know if you'd go over then. I'll let you kind of take that away from there, but. What makes you a bit more comfortable about betting that Bulls getting at least over 30 wins and maybe into the low to mid mid 30s? I, I think a lot of it is I'm just I'm really I'm sold on one. There's a brief period after the All Star break when Porter was healthy, and they looked like a competent team. Like Otto was doing all the things that he was doing early in his 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 Wizards tenure, and then kind of stopped doing as the team tailspun last couple of years. Um, I love the Sadoransky pickup. I think that was really great. Um, I think, you know, Thaddeus Young is a guy that does all the things that makes you better, like all the things that you need, like smart players to do, he can handle. Um, I, I'm very high on Markkanen. I'm exceptionally high on Markkanen. Uh, I think Kobe White's going to be at least pretty good or at least exciting enough. Um, and really when he gets down to it is they have enough guys that I feel confident are going to be in the league in 18 months to say like this is a a roster of NBA caliber dudes and that's like they found some really good values on the open market too like uh, you know Luke Cornett I thought that was a, a a really good pickup Thad Young like I mentioned like they actually managed their money I thought really well in the off season um, Levine's going to give you production I don't think he's going to give you impact 
like the, the Bulls and the Suns are kind of similar in that regard, where it's like, I, I know Booker's going to get you points, but I don't know if he's actually going to help you win. It's kind of the same deal with Zach Levine. But I do think that, like, Markkanen, I think, is a guy that helps you. I think that, like, Markkanen and Young, I really like that combo. I think Porter really can be a guy that helps you win games. Um, and the bars is still low enough. At, you can get it as low as 30 and a half. Uh, that's a DraftKings. That number I feel really good about. When you get to 33 and a half, I start to get a little bit more. Like, I don't know about that. I liked it a lot better at 29 and a half. But at, even at 30 and a half, I feel, I think that this team is going to be in the low to mid thirties in the Eastern conference. I think most of their outcomes, if you play out the season a thousand times, I think most of their outcomes are going to land in that range. Um, and I feel like this isn't a good team. I'm not sure what their long-term future is. I don't know like what the identity of it, like who's their core going forward, but I feel like they have enough pieces for me to buy into what the structure is going forward. Yeah, and clearly a lot of people were hammering the over uh, on that initial total because you went through some lines today at various sports books, Matt, and the line was raised pretty much across the board. I guess points bet had it at 32 and a half, uh, Caesars had it at 33, Westgate had it at 33. I would even take the over on that. I know that you've said that you know around that line is where you would get some hesitation. Uh, you know, what do you think sort of the downside is for the Bulls if you were to get to an over over under number around 35? Uh, sort of what is it about this team that would, you know, give you some hesitation that maybe they would struggle to get to 35 wins this year uh, if the over under were to get that high? I think for starters, they're bad. Like, I think that's like the opening. Like, they're just bad. Uh, and when you look at the roster, I don't know exactly who they're going to be. Like, I just don't know. I don't know, like, what their roster is really primed to be. Like, are they a – they're not a defensive team. That's obvious. Um, although maybe, I guess, maybe, like, Porter, if he's really good, if, like, he's, like, top level, but he hasn't been that way in a couple of seasons. Um, are they an offensive team? Are they, like, a five-out with marketing? Like, I don't really know what their identity is. They're young. They're inexperienced. They're, like, the offseason additions were good players, but not, like, huge impact guys. And so, like, I don't know who's going to carry them. I, it's not going to be Levine. As much as I like Zach Levine, it's not going to be Levine. So the question is, like, it, you know, you're, you're on the road. You're facing the Pistons. All right? You're down seven and a half. Who steps up in the second half and takes it home for you? Like, who, who's going to deliver in that second half? And you're like, maybe Levine? Maybe Morgan? Like, the uncertainty is really where teams in the regular season fall apart. And I feel like the Bulls have a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, and you mentioned the identity thing. I feel like some of that might come down to how Jim Boylan puts his imprint on this roster. And I think that's one of another one of the big questions. I know we we've been very critical about Jim Boylan, uh, and I feel like there, there was the Bulls basically became a laughing stock last season. Not only because they were bad, it was Jim Boylan was kind of a laughing stock with all his goofy quotes, the mutiny, and all that stuff. What do you make of Jim Boylan? Like, do you think he's the right coach to take this team, to take this rebuild forward? Is he like an A to B guy where then maybe they get a little better and then they, they bring in a, a better coach down the road to take them to that next level? It's what, what do you make, make of Jim Boylan? Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and admit something right now. Um, I am so uncertain of the idea of Boylan being still the head coach that I literally was uncertain of whether to answer in my, like I had this moment where I was like, <laughs> is he still coach? They don't really, like, they didn't fire him. Really? Like they I'm dead serious. Like I didn't mention him in my answer because I was like, wait, I don't want to say Boylan. If it's like, 
they fired him four months ago, Matt, clearly. They got they just had a new coach because so much has changed in the NBA over the summer that I'm constantly having to be like, okay, who plays where? And like, all right, is he still the coach? Okay, he's still the coach. Like, there's all these places. Like, I said Jaeger the other day. Like, I mentioned Jaeger the other day on a Kings book because I was like, oh, yeah, they fired Jaeger and brought in Luke Walton. That's a thing that happened. So, like, Boylan, yeah. Like, Boylan, I think, is a, is a case of there are all these signs. Not all these signs. There was, like, a brief window, like I talked about after the All-Star break, where you're like, ooh, I can kind of buy into this. Like, things are looking kind of good here despite all that. But when you look at the, at the quotes and the narratives and the whole – like. You never like watch the Bulls and we're like, this is a really well coached team. You watch them and just we're like, they are trying. And that's like where it gets difficult because I'm like, man, if you do get your guys to try, that's a lot of it in the regular season. I just don't know if that's sustainable over time, given how much, you know, they hated him at, at points. So I, I feel like there's a possibility that it could be okay for a while. It's kind of like Skiles, right? Where you're like, this could work for a while. But eventually, this is going to turn bad, and when it does, it's going to turn real bad. Yeah, to me, keeping Boylan was like the one move in line with the rest of Garpax's history that the Bulls have made in 2019. Everything else has been pretty good. I mean, the Otto Porter trade, I think, is the best move they've made in a long time, at least outside of the draft. We haven't seen John Paxson and Gar Foreman actually improve the team via trade since they traded for John Salmon's and Brad Miller back in 2009. So that move was totally out of character, and it was awesome. You look at their free agency change between the last two years. A year ago, you're giving Jabari Parker $20 million, totally bidding against yourselves on a contract no one was going to give him. They expected him to be the starting small forward when they initially signed that deal. Uh, I think that logic was just totally flawed from the beginning. This was first guessing, not second guessing. Now look at what they did this year. I think they gave out $30 million combined to Sadoransky, Thad Young, and Luke Cornett. To me, three guys who all offer you the potential to outperform their contract. Uh, obviously, Jason and I have been really critical of the Bulls, but I do think in a lot of ways they are starting to turn a corner in decision-making. Uh, to me, though, Boylan is the one guy that you know could sort of make or break this positive momentum because uh, he really did not do anything last year to sort of put confidence in the fan base that he can actually be a quality head coach. I think the other thing there is, um, you know, what's the structure going to look like in terms of, Bowen doesn't strike you as a guy that's going to input a system that's going to be ironclad, that's going to make sense. Because, like, now, with how they built the roster, they have the real capacity to play really perimeter-oriented, um, right? Like, marketing was 76 percentile last season in spot-ups. Archie Okono, who I love, um, was – uh, even higher, I think, than that. I think he was, uh, what was he at? He was, not, yeah, 96 percentile. Um, I love Archie. Like, just phenomenal. Um, if they put the ball in Sadoransky's hands and are like, hey, let's, like, we're going to run pick and roll, especially if, let's say, that Wendell Carter Jr. gets to step on an NBA floor at some point. Um, we're going to run pick and roll. We're going to stretch five with uh, Markkanen, and we're going to have Porter – on the wing along with Archie O'Connell, Archie on their wing to be able to deliver. And you're going to be able to like, actually have like a, like that offense, makes sense. Right. But then like my question then is like, well, where does Zach Levine fits in? Because I don't have a lot of confidence in Levine running a dynamic offense. I don't mind him as like a tip of the spear secondary scorer, but you got to have somebody to run the team. And I don't know if Sadoransky has done enough in his career to get that kind of trust 
And I don't know if Boylan has enough control of the team to be able to insert that or if that's the choice that he'll make instead of doing something insane like we're going to play through the post or something. Right, which is what he did last year. Uh, I was wondering if you could provide some perspective on sort of Sadoransky versus Chris Dunn because, uh, to me, I really love the Sadoransky signing for multiple reasons, but one of them is because I think he'll work better within the structure of the Bulls' starting unit. When Chris Dunn was on the floor, Chris Dunn was always sort of been programmed as an alpha dog. He never saw himself as the fifth option, and ultimately that was going to be the case when you're sharing the floor with Zach Levine, with Lowry Markkinen, with Otto. You want all those guys getting more shots than Chris Dunn uh, when they're all on the floor together. You look at Sadoransky, he's always a guy who hasn't posted a huge usage rate. Last year, only 14%. That was the highest of his career. Uh, I kind of like the idea of Sadoransky being a really measured point guard who can sort of pick his spots. And, you know, if anything, I feel like the knock on Sadoransky throughout his career is that he hasn't been aggressive enough, especially offensively. Maybe he's lacked some assertiveness. But I think, you know, within the structure of the Bulls starting lineup that having a more measured approach at point guard, someone who can hit a catch and shoot jumper, someone who won't, you know, force the issue and make a mistake could really be valuable for the Bulls. I love Sato. I love, I just, I love watching him play. He's one of my favorites on league pass. Um, one of the things that I noticed the last couple of years, uh, the last two, like two to three seasons with the, the Wizards was that Marky Morris, who I think very poorly of as an NBA player, uh, was exceptional when he wasn't on the floor with John Wall. And I was like, that's really weird. Cause he would have negative ratings with the starting unit and then have really good units with the bench. And I was like, why is that? And so I went back and watched. And then when you watch the clips, you notice that Sadoransky just had a real natural fit with a forward who could stretch the floor. Like he understood how to find him on cuts, when to find him on spot ups and things like that. So when I look at what the Bulls bring to the table with Markinen, uh, even with Porter to a degree with, with them having had chemistry before, like, I'm pretty optimistic about that because Porter's numbers kind of reflected the same thing. You would see these bumps with Sadoransky, um, not because Sadoransky is a better player than John Wall was when John Wall was, you know, alive, but he was better in terms of the kind of things we're taking a secondary position as just like, I'm just going to facilitate and play make. So like, he can really, I think, make the most of, of what they have on roster, again, outside of Levine. Like, he, to me, he's exceptional. He's a good spot-up shooter. You know, Synergy's got a lot of problems with its data. Like, there's a lot of things you can find that are questionable in there, but it's a good kind of like, all right, if it's in certain percentiles, he's probably pretty good at this. It's not, you know, parsing between 98th and 80th, say, might get a little fishy. But, like, here's a good number for you. Like, Sadoransky, when you factor in all of his scoring position and his assists, he was 98th percentile last season and 98th percentile in the half court. Like, that's... the the Wizards often now a lot of that's he's passing to Bradley Beal right so you you, you focus on that and you say well sure Bradley Beal was was fantastic but look at the rest of that Wizards team and how much of a pile of garbage it was and then realize that Sadoransky still had that offense absolutely humming when he was on the floor so like that's got to be the ideal that Levine is some sort of like Kmart version of Beal. And then Sadoransky fits in around, and you've actually got, I think, better pieces in Chicago now than what the Wizards had supporting last season outside of Beal. And now you're like, okay, that like this is what the formula is going to look like offensively. There's a there is a chance that the Bulls are going to be really good offensively. They should have been much better the last two seasons. 
I think with the personnel that they've changed, where they've added smarter players, that can happen. Um, but it is going to take, I think, a lot of things, especially on the coaching side, and that's where things get dicey. Yeah, it yeah. really makes me wonder, are the Bulls smart now, or are they only smarter than the Wizards? Because they made a great <laughs> trade to deal two empty calorie guys in Bobby Portis and Jabari Parker for Otto. I loved that move, and I still have trouble believing that they actually nabbed Sadoransky on what's essentially a two-year, $20 million contract. They've got a little bit of guaranteed money on the third year, but uh, pretty impressive. I think, Jason, look, there, there's a lot to be said for just if you're able to go look at an off season and be like, they didn't do anything stupid. Like that's pretty good. Like they didn't like, that was the thing with the Lakers this off season, really like they got Anthony Davis. So that's a win no matter what. But when, with all the remaining money, even though they didn't get Kawhi, like the Lakers didn't do anything stupid. Um, like it was one thing like Ron, bringing back Rondo and JaVale is fine because of all the other guys that you brought in. It was when he brought in the previous season, Rondo and JaVale and Beasley and all these other guys. Like, that's where it really got troublesome versus, like, you know, with the Suns, who, I, like I said, is another team that I'm pretty high on for their over because it's so low. You know, the Suns, I thought, had a really good offseason in terms of the players that they brought into roster. They also made an absolutely just completely bafflingly stupid trade with Memphis. Like, they still had a really dumb move. Chicago managed to get through the entire summer having done nothing dumb. Um, the question is going to be, okay, if they struggle out of the gate, if this team is not as good as they think it is – are Gar Pack's going to wind up? Are they going to make some sort of move in December or January because they're like, uh oh, we're circling the drain again and shake it up again? Versus like, no, 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 just like let let it let them get used to each other. See, and then at the end of the year, you're going to know a lot more about what you actually need. You'll be able to make really good hard decisions at the end of the season if you just don't do anything in the in impetuous. For sure, and with the smart off season, I've noticed that like a. Uh, Compared to like the Vegas odds, which are all in like the low 30s, a bunch of these like statistical projections have the Bulls in like the high 30s and basically fighting for the eight seed. Uh, right. I know ESP like Kevin Pelton at ESPN had them I think at 30 over 39 wins. Uh, Jacob Goldstein had them I think at 39 wins. 538 had them at, I believe at 38 wins. Uh, I, obviously, you're not that optimistic about them. I think we're a little closer. Maybe we're just being homerish there. I guess, what do you think is like the, maybe the uh, the disconnect between some of those stat projections and then where like Vegas has them with those in the low 30s? I think that there's just been so much change, and I think a lot of the projections are are. I think a lot of the projections are unstable. Like I was asked today about why. Um, stuff like Kevin Pelton, who's a genius that I would never question, um, why his model and like 538s have the Jazz lower than what the over-under is. The over-under for the Jazz this season is 54 and a half, right? And like that's a really high number, and I'm still probably taking the over. It's getting real tight at 54 and a half. Like I can find it lower at 52 and a half and feel better there. Um, I think the uh, like the offensive talent for the Bulls leads you to believe, because think of it, right? Um, those statistical models are, are usually going to incorporate most of the times that they're modeling are going to focus on impact rather than production. So they're not looking like those things aren't looking for what we may have looked for in 2007, 2008 in terms of per 36 stats or efficiency. Like they're focused more on like a lot of that's like plus minus offensive box score stuff. Um, well, like Sadoransky's a guy that makes your team better. Porter's a guy that makes your team better. Thad Young is a guy that makes your team better. Those are the three biggest additions over last year's team at the start of last season, right? If you look at, at year over year from where they were on the opening night of last year to now, like 
it's just a really big upgrade in terms of guys that help you win games going from Jabari Parker, God help him, to Thad Young. Like, that's just a massive upgrade in terms of dude, which is crazy because, like, Thad Young's not nearly as talented as, as Jabari Parker could have been um, or should have been or maybe is. But Thad Young's a guy that's been in the league forever and knows how to help you at multiple spots, and the league is adapted to who he is. Um, like, I did an interview with Thad Young in 2008 where he was having to play power forward some. And this is, like, back when, like, tweeners were a bad thing. Like, Thad Young was described as a tweener. And I asked him in, a, in one of like my first career interviews was talking to Thad Young uh, on the phone. And I was like, uh, what do you think about playing the four? He's like, I hate it. I hate it. I never want to play the four. I just want to play the three. And now he plays the four because the league has made the four into yeah. what he was playing as three then. Um, so like, I think all those things kind of factor in. Like, look, um, you know, the, the models aren't going to account for they're probably starting a rookie point guard uh, or playing not not starting. They're probably playing a rookie point guard heavy minutes, and that's concerning. Um, it's not factoring in the youth and the inexperience, nor is it probably going to factor in the fact that they play in a, a pretty tough division, comparatively speaking, in the Eastern Conference, right? Like Detroit, Milwaukee, Indiana, those are three, like, fine to really good teams. So like all these things kind of get missed. What's interesting, I think about the over under number, by the way, is I did want to note this. So like I talked to, to Jeff Sherman last year, um, who's one of the, the bookmakers over at the Westgate in Las Vegas. Uh, and the bulls were the number one team that they had liability on for the over. That's one of the reasons that the over this year is higher is they had so much liability last year that they knew they were going to get hit with over bets again so they had to go ahead. Now, like, that was great for me last year because I pounded the under because I was like, this right. team sucks. <laughs> um, but now, you know, now it's a lot tougher, I think. And that's why, like, you know, it's good to shop around in some of the books because um, I really don't like them at, at 33 and a half. That starts to get a little bit dicey, but I, I, love them. I like them a lot closer to 30 and a half. That is super interesting. We'll, we'll see. Like I said, both me and Ricky are thinking a little higher and going over those numbers, but I, I also thought that last year, too. And that was my Bulls fandom taking over, and then they, of course, made us look like complete jackasses. So that was great. You mentioned the Lakers a bit before. We're going to talk about some uh, league-wide stuff, talk about the Lakers a bit more, talk about Dwight Howard. Before that, we are going to take a quick word from our sponsor at MyBookie. It's a brand-new football season, and then the NBA season's right around the corner as well. There's been a ton of change in the NFL. And Antonio Brown's on the Raiders, Le'Veon Van Bell on the Jets, Odell Beckham in Cleveland, and, of course, the NBA had a crazy offseason. Kawhi going to the Clippers, Anthony Davis going to the Lakers, all that fun stuff. One thing that hasn't changed is where I'm putting my money down in all the games. MyBookie is the place to bet on football every weekend. Our Blue Wire podcasters are using MyBookie.com slash BlueWire to sign up this year. MyBookie has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sportsbook, period. This year, they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest. First place is guaranteed to win at least $100,000, and it only costs $100 to enter. All you gotta do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool. MyBookie has live, in-game betting on every NFL game. They've got the most rewarding player perks in the business, and for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. So visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E, and don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE when creating your account to claim this bonus. So bet, win, and get paid. All right, Cash Considerations is back. We have our special guest, Matt Moore, from the Action Network on. 
Matt, let's talk about the Lakers. You did mention them they, that they did they didn't really do anything stupid this offseason. They they did a, they obviously got Anthony Davis. They made some other pretty nice moves. You can argue about Rajon Rondo. They just signed Dwight Howard. Uh, what do you make of the Dwight Howard signing? And I was I was a guy pushing for Joe Kim Noah to go there, even with all the LeBron, all that history there, it would have maybe broken my heart a little bit. But I felt like Noah, the way he played last year in Memphis, he looked pretty good. Might have been better just as an energy guy, maybe better for the locker room. I know he uh, had some issues in the in New York, in the big city, that whole life, and maybe being out in L.A. scared them would have scared them off. But I guess just in general, what do you what do you think Dwight Howard's going to work out? Do you think he'll make the team? I know he's a non guaranteed non guaranteed deal. Do you think they should have taken Noah or anybody else over him? Well, first off, um, because I work at Action Network, I'm obligated to mention this stat, which I think is incredible. Uh, the team that Dwight Howard has been on has hit the under on their win total in eight <laughs> of the last nine seasons. The Ouch. one exception was the 2016 Rockets, where he missed 41 games. Other than that, every single time in the last nine seasons, the team Dwight Howard has been on has hit the under. Um, I think that they should have signed Noah. Noah was really good in Memphis. Noah is a high-character guy. Uh, he's proved last year he can actually play a little bit. Uh, he's got the like the kind of dogged intensity that you're looking for, uh, that you still are going to kind of need, especially, honestly, you need a guy to stay up on Anthony Davis. Like, you need a guy to stay up on AD. This is something that's not really talked about enough because he's a star player, and so we just kind of give him a pass and we assign all sorts of attributes to him. He's a killer and a ruthless competitor and a brilliant mastermind. It's like, no, like he's just like a really good kid that likes to play basketball uh, and is exceptionally good at it because he's a guard in a seven-footer's body. Um, I think Noah would have really helped them. I think that, you know, look, if you remove the name Dwight Howard – and you just say injury plagued big man that's six eleven uh, can rebound and play defense. Then they're like, yeah, like you need that with Cousins out. Like you're just going to need another rim protector because AD hates playing center. So you, if Javale gets hurt, you know either AD's doing it or Kyle Kuzma is, but somebody's got to play five. So you know they could have probably waited to see if they needed to do that. They could have probably seen. Like, I think Noah would have been a better option um, just to see. I think they were probably spooked off by the Tyson Chandler experience last year with him just not being able to play. And that's a concern with Noah is just, like, he if he picks up an injury, anything, like, one injury will spiral into three injuries, and then he just can't go with where he's at in his career. Thanks, Tibbs. Um, so I, I think it's probably – it's fine. It's just not ideal. Um, it's not, like, what you – it's not some sort of crazy smart move that you're like, ooh, this is like, there's real risk in it. In that, for whatever reason, um, he's been really disliked in locker rooms, and I think that with as much pressure as the Lakers are going to be under, I think that that it might be accelerated a little bit. Um, but then again, LeBron's such a dominant personality that it, there may not be room for him to really cause issues because like LeBron's going to keep things under lockdown in terms of if there's going to be locker room problems, it's going to be with LeBron picking, making people miserable, not Dwight Howard. Speaking of centers, I'm breaking the agenda here. Sorry, Jason. <laughs> I want to talk about someone we haven't mentioned on this podcast yet. That's Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, I think that Carter Jr. could be primed for a really good year. In my opinion, he's the Bulls' best prospect because I think that he's the most well-rounded of their prospects. He's someone who, uh, you know, defensively I think could be an anchor for the team. Offensively, I think he might be one of the 
you know, two or three best passers on the team, the Bulls last year, didn't really let him do that a lot. Boylan was mostly pounding the ball to him in the post, but I was in the UC on Halloween when the Bulls went against the Nuggets and Jokic, and Carter put up 25, eight rebounds, five assists, three blocks, three steals. It was just a virtuoso performance for a 19-year-old at the time. So I'm just curious, Matt, if you have any impressions of Wendell Carter Jr., if you think that you know it's fair to consider him the best prospect on a team that also has Lowry Markkinen, uh, and sort of where you think the expectation should be set for you know a 20-year-old in year two. I don't think it's unfair because he hasn't shown enough to disprove it, but that's also the problem is like he hasn't shown enough is that um, I think it's fine to say he's the best prospect because, you know, if he's healthy and he lives up to his potential, um, he was so hyped by draft Twitter last year, just draft Twitter, just loved WCJ, just adored him. And I was like, okay, well let's, let's see what he can do. Um, and then he was like, okay, at spots and had some games and then he got hurt and that was pretty much it. And so now I'm just like, well, I gotta see him. Like I gotta, I gotta see more before I can really make an assertion of him. I, I, th- I think having him as a pick and roll threat at the rim is really good. I think you're right that he's a good passer. So being able to hit him off of the short roll could be really beneficial. Um, you know, I think he's going to be a pretty good screener, which I think is going to be helpful. And defensively, like, um, if the Bulls wind up shocking everybody and winning closer to like the high 30s, low 40s, it's going to be because Porter, Wendell Carter Jr., and Thad Young form like a three-man trifecta in the front court that all of a sudden you're like, oh, this team's pretty good defensively. And like, actually, I think Markkinen's a little underrated in that in that aspect as well. Like, I lean towards Markkinen as the best prospect that they have, but I don't think it's wrong to say Wendell Carter Jr. Um, I just think that I want to see more of him. I want to see him stay on the floor. I need to see what he looks like. And with a, a full year of NBA conditioning, he could have an absolutely monster year, but I got to see whether he can stay on the court first. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And I, well, I think one of the issues last year too, like the coaching change, I think really hurt it. Like the post-ups were just, I feel like a problem. I feel like just the whole skill set that he has just like was not, really was not on display. And I hope that they kind of let him loose a bit this year and we'll see. You talk about if the Bulls maybe are a surprise team, even if they're not. Just in the Eastern Conference, just kind of looking at the general Eastern Conference maybe playoff picture. Uh, I guess how do you see just the East shaking out? Like I mean, there's a, because there's I mean the Bucks are going to be there again, and then I know you've had some harsh words about the Celtics and just about you were talking about their their win totals. I know earlier today. I mean the Sixers made some big moves. I mean the Pacers will be weird with Oladipo out. The Raptors don't have Kawhi. I mean, after those teams, I mean, you got kind of that, like, morass. You have, like, the, the Magic, the Pistons, all right, the Heat have Jimmy now. Like, I mean, the Bulls, maybe if they can sneak up into that and they get lucky and get eight seats. I guess just how do you see the, the whole Eastern Conference really kind of shaking out right now? You need one good month to make the playoffs in the East. That's it. You just – if you play well for a month, if you have a really solid January because everybody's hurt and resting players, like – that, that's all you really need, and then you're in. That's all you got to do in the Eastern Conference is have one really good month. Um, it's a two-conference – or it's a two-team conference. There's the Bucks, there's the Sixers, and then everything else really does not matter. Nothing else matters. The Raptors are not going to matter. Um, I don't like their chances. I'm going to take the under on them. I don't I think championship hangover, aging Lowry, Gasol, and Ibaka, um, probably a, a little bit of regression for Siakam. Um, I don't see much growth from anybody else. I don't, I don't think that um, Fred VanVleet it, uh, Sr. is, is going to turn into Michael Jordan for the rest of his career. Um, so I think that they probably fall off a little bit. The Celtics, like you mentioned, I think that they're going to be not bad, but they're not going to be great. 
I think they're going to be like, they'll win, rack up 45 plus wins because it's the East and that's about it. Um, I think Detroit's probably going to be good because there's a lot of metrics that indicate that they're just going to like, even though you're never impressed with them and you're not really scared of them, they're going to win 40 plus games and that's going to get you in the playoffs. The magic, I think are a coin flip. If the magic have a bad month, like that could sink them and open up the door for somebody like the bulls to kind of sneak in. You know, there's a lot of hype around the Hawks. I went on, uh, um, locked on Hawks podcast the other day and, um, was talking about how I think they're probably going to be an under based off of the fact that they're a young team. Like the rest of the roster is so young. Like they just don't know what they're doing. Um, and that's a really big problem. Like you have to know what you're doing. The Cavs, same kind of deal. They're going to be really bad. So like, the Bulls are, are kind of in this middle range of teams where, um, if somebody slips, they can take advantage. Like if Jimmy Butler doesn't make the heat better, uh, the Pistons are only okay, and the Magic have a bad month. There's going to be a window for the Bulls to kind of slip up and, and sneak in to that top kind of range. I did, I'm higher on the Pacers than most people are, um, but I do think that the Bulls are, are going to be – I think they'll be out of the playoff picture because I think that they're going to be too young and too bad defensively. But I think that there will probably be a window in, like, January where we're like, you know, Bulls might make the playoffs. Like, that's a thing that could happen, and then they'll – have, hit a losing streak and that'll be it but that's okay because it'd be better to have like consistent gradual growth than them overplaying it and then making the playoffs and getting just ran out the building by the Sixers um and realizing how far away you are I think it's better to like take one step forward reevaluate after this year and you'll have a much better idea of where you need to go I honestly feel like the Bulls are going to make the playoffs, and most people are shocked when I say that because I feel like my reputation is kind of as the biggest Garpax <laughs> hater around but uh, you know, defensively, you? I love a, I love a front court of Wendell, Thad, and Otto. I think that that could be much better defensively than what they've had in the past. Uh, and offensively, if they just play a little bit more up tempo, and if Boylan doesn't coach him like a total idiot, I think that they at least have enough pieces to be interesting. One thing that I do think is sort of going to affect this, though, is that I'm just throwing this out there for you, Matt. I think that there's a lot of teams this year primed to make trades like a lot of sellers two that come to mind immediately for me the raptors they got a bunch of dudes on one-year deals i think lowry's on a one-year deal now uh marcus soul's on a one-year deal then you also have a team like the thunder they have gallo that would be a premium trade chip for someone like i don't know portland to acquire obviously cp3 still got steven adams uh do you have any thoughts on just like you know some of the bad teams potentially selling off pieces maybe even kevin love i feel like you know if the sixers get kyle lowry or if uh you know kevin love makes a move that's impactful for a team that uh this year in particular at the beginning of it seems like we we could be set to see some trades uh first off after you said that my first thought was oh well they're clearly they're gonna trade wendell carter jr in January, like that, like Ricky's just like begging them to trade Wendell Carter Jr. Like he has, he has like a week where he averages 18 and eight. And then they're like, yep, gotta sell high on him. We think we could get real value for him on the market. Um, I mean, John Salmons I don't is know. available again, by the way. I think, I think, uh, I think it's tough to forecast what the trade market's going to be like. And the reason I say that is uh, the next year's free agency class is so bad that teams are going to be really hesitant to do anything that honestly creates more space for them that they're going to have to fill. And that makes finding partners a little bit harder. 
The other thing I think is that um, you're right that Love's a good value on the market. You're right that Daniil Gallinari is a good value on the market. Um, but I also think that so many teams had to change so much this summer that you almost have to give that, like they have to give those teams time to try and figure out who they are. Like, I think it's going to be really hard to go into, you know, to get to the deadline of when you can trade the guys that you signed the summer on December 15th, when you get to that point and just, and be like, Oh, we're going to give up on this already. I think that that's, that's going to be hard to find. And I don't know that there's that many teams that are really going to be like, we have to course correct. Now Portland's an interesting one, right? Because Portland made all these moves this summer to kind of like, they got rid of Mo Harkless, they got rid of Alpha Rukamino, and then they kind of they added Hassan Whiteside for some reason. Um, they're without Nurkic for a while. They're the kind of team that might be like, if they start off rough and things are going south, they may be a team that's like, we can't afford to wait. We got to pull the trigger on something big. But I think generally speaking, I think there's going to be a hesitance to kind of abandon ship um, because you can't get any better this summer, so the clearing space doesn't help you. And um, with the rest of it, I think it's like, if you're making a move, is Daniel Garnari going to get you where you want to go? Or, you know, where are the teams that look at Daniel Garnari and say, like, he's a guy that can put us over the hump? And so I think that's going to be one of the things, uh, because we just don't know enough about what the season's like or who's really good or who's going to be great. Most of the teams should be pretty close. I think it's going to create a false sense of confidence with a lot of teams to maybe stick it out. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, just the season in general, uh, just the wide-open nature of it should be a lot of fun. Before we wrap it up here, uh, FIBA World Cup is coming up. Uh, Team USA, not very impressive, at least roster-wise, and they lost the game to Australia over this last weekend. Patty Mills just went apeshit, pop, threatened to trade him. Uh, I think he had 30 points in that game. Uh, what I saw last, Team USA, I think, was like minus 175 at Westgate. Uh, I know Serbia is really good. They have Jokic. They have a bunch of a few other NBA players. Greece has Giannis. Spain's always really good. I mean, Australia beat USA. France has got a pretty loaded uh, NBA roster. Uh, real quick, do you think Team USA is going to win it, or do you think somebody else is going to upset them and, t- and take this gold this time? Uh, I think that there's value on the upset. That's what I think. I think that there's value on the upset. When we look at, at the roster – like when you actually just read down the roster and you start to be like, oh boy, like this yeah. this is just not a roster that inspires a lot of confidence. When you're like, boy, they really need Mason Plumley to play well. You're like, ooh, ooh, I don't know about this. Um, it's also really weird to me that the United States is not going to have the best player in the tournament. That's going to be Giannis Antetokounmpo. They're not going to have the second best player in the tournament. That's going to be Nikola Jokic. So they have like the third. Now they have like third through, um, you know, fifteenth. Uh, actually, Rudy Gobert is the third best player in the tournament, so they don't have him either. They don't have the third best player in the tournament. So, like, genuinely, really kind of alarming. Um, what they're actually looking at, especially like like Serbia is plus two hundred, um, yep. Greece is plus a thousand. But then you do really – and then, like, you look at Australia, who's plus 3,000 and just beat them. And you're like, ooh, I don't know about this. Um, there's still a really good chance that the, the United States wins. They still should be the favorite, I think. Uh, they do have, I think, enough talent to get it done. But I, I do – the variance is the thing. Is that the United States has a bad day, they're going to lose. And if that happens at the wrong time, that could be – wind up being the, differ- the difference. So, like, I don't know what happened with everybody. Like, De'Aaron Fox going home is the one that's just baffling to me. I just, why? Why, why is De'Aaron Fox not right. there? Like, what? You know, like, some of these guys, 
Like Kyle Kuzma, okay, that kind of makes sense. I mean, Kuzma's not great. But like <laughs> Fox wowed everybody. Like, why? Why on earth is Fox not on this team? They just lost so much talent. Um, but then I do realize that like look, there's a lot of guys on this on this roster I think are really good. Um no, I think Jason Tatum's really good. And so there's a capacity for them to do some big things just with their talent. Um, it's going to take a combination of a team having a really hot day, playing with confidence, and the United States having a bad day. It's just the, the comfort's gone. It used to be like the United States could play like garbage. They still win by 20. Right. And that's just – that is not this team. But this team plays badly. They're going to lose by 15. And they got all these Celtics, so even yeah. Americans are going to be, you know, somewhat happy when they lose. We have, that's a fun subplot sure, that we sure. normally don't have. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, please just let our listeners know where we can uh, find your work, follow you on Twitter. Yeah, you can check me out at HP Basketball. If you don't like volume, you should check out at Matt Moore, T-A-N. I'm much quieter on there. Uh, you can find my work at the Action Network. You should download our app. Uh, it is the fastest app I have ever seen for tracking scores. Like it's way, f- I've, I've used ESPN, CBS Sports. I used to work there. Um, it is the fastest app for tracking sports. I timed it with like the live game action and it was something like seven seconds from the time that an assist occurred until it popped up in my app. It's extremely fast. It's a great app for tracking scores. Matt Moore, first ballot basketball Twitter Hall of Famer. So thank you so much for jumping on. We really appreciated it. Going on my tombstone. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. Uh, That'll be it all for us at Cash Considerations this week. As always, please go check out Blue Wire Network uh, on Twitter at Blue Wire Pods. We've been doing a lot of fun stuff there. We're adding podcasts by the week as well. We're growing. Please go check us out. Uh, And then for us, Cash Considerations, please always rate and review us wherever you listen to your pods. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, all that fun stuff. We always like to hear our uh, reviews. Please give us feed- feedback on Twitter as well. Jason, Ricky, you got, you know where to find us. We're always looking to get better and all that fun stuff. So, again, thank you to Matt Moore for joining us, and we're, we're done for this week. So, from Jason and Ricky, some cash considerations. Take it easy, guys.